As the song's being played tonight, I'm rehearsing in my mind the words of the song. Don't lose hope. Don't lose your joy. This is my father's world. On Sunday night for the next few weeks, uh, you know, if, if there's something going around and you know it, you take precautions not to get it, right? If my wife and I go into a grocery store together, I'll just reach out and grab a basket and go pushing it. My wife stops and gets one of those things and scrubs it and, you know, does all that to it. Wipes it all down. And she'll look at me and say, don't touch that yet. Don't touch that. You don't want what's been on that. Brother Zach Rice tried to shake hands with me last week at the, at the uh, basketball tournament. And somebody had already told me he had the flu. And he, he held his hand out to shake my hand. And I said, nothing doing. And he said, well, I'm 85% well. I said, well, I don't want the other 15%. I'm going to pat you on the back. Jeff, I talked to earlier this evening. He said, you know, preacher, I've got the flu. I said, well, I appreciate you shaking my hand on Sunday then. And, but uh, if we know something's going around, we take, we take precaution so that we don't pick it up, right? And so Sunday night, we're going to be looking at the joy of Christians. And we're going to look at things that rob us of our joy. Uh, in our homes, we'll take every precaution to keep what's ours, right? And as Christians with joy, we ought to take every precaution to keep that that God has given to us. And God said he has given us joy. If you would, in Ephesians chapter 1, I want to take one more thing. Those of you who are on social media and you're on, in particular, Facebook, I want to encourage you to do this. Look up your missionary, John Wynn. John is one of the funniest men that you will ever meet. And he posts some funny things and encouraging things, but they also frequently post things from their church services. A lot of the music from their church is on there. And so if you want to know how to pray for them a little bit better, then go look them up, find them, and attach yourself, and you'll, you'll, you'll get a few laughs along the way as well. James mentioned that storm that hit five years ago now. And uh, I'll never forget the night that all of that happened, and we were waiting, and you, you remember what happened in their house. The floodwaters came in very quickly, uh, two inches, and then suddenly within 15 minutes, it was three feet of water in the house. And uh, within a half hour, they were hanging on to their entertainment center, floating up next to the ceiling and John had to literally kick the ceiling out and they climbed up into the rafters and John stood right here in tears and said I didn't know where we were going to go next because that was as high as we could get and God's replaced all that one of the things that I saw not too long ago uh, that he posted on his social media page was this he said and it was a picture it was a picture of a Filipino man wearing an American high school basketball uniform and the strange thing on the back of it, it said when. And truthfully, what it was, was John had his high school basketball uniform. And in the flood, it washed away. And so when people found things, they just, he said, I want to go up and said, hey, that's my shirt. He said, well, I guess if he's had it now for three years, he can have it. But uh, you'll, you'll enjoy the post there. Last week, we... Followed with Paul. First week we talked about who this was to and who this was from. Uh, we looked at the Apostle Paul and then we looked at it was addressed to the saints. 
the church at Ephesus, and then it was addressed to the faithful as well, which brings it to us today. And then last week we began to look, and I told you from verse 3 through 14, we'd be there for three weeks, and tonight's the second of those. Last week we looked at praising God for his sovereignty. We looked at the source of our blessings, which it talks about our blessings being of God. We looked at the subject of our blessings, God of God who hath blessed us. We're the recipients of it. Uh, we looked at the scope of that, which he said has given us all spiritual blessings. And then we looked at the, the sort of it, which was the spiritual blessing, and the storehouse of it where he said, in heavenly places. Now, in verse number seven, let's pick up tonight, in whom we have redemption. Now, remember what Paul is talking about. Reasons we have to praise the Lord. Reasons we have to rejoice. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. Now we're still sort of standing at the front door of the book of Ephesians, just getting into it. And Paul is magnifying the glory of God. He's telling us why we should pray. Paul here in these verses from verse 3 through 14, he is talking to the church but he is in deep worship as he's talking about the reasons of praising God. Verse number three through verse number six, uh, praise God because of, the, of, of his sovereign. Uh, seven through 10, praise God for his saving work. Next week will be in verse 11 through 14. And uh, Paul praises God there for the spirit and his sharing work. Now, Paul moves from God's work in the past to God's work in the present, and then he's going to get into God's work for eternity. Look at number one, if you would, with me tonight in verse number seven. God is to be praised for his redemption. God's to be praised for his redemption, in whom we have redemption through his blood. We ought to be able tonight to rejoice if everything else in our lives is upside down and in turmoil, we still ought to praise God for our redemption, for our salvation. If you're saved tonight, you always have reason to praise the Lord. You always have reason to celebrate what God has done for you. I've mentioned this before in other messages, but do you remember, and I think a lot of folks in here may do this, do you remember something called S&H green stamps? Raise your hand if you do. I want to aid you right here. All right, put your hands down. I remember those from when I was a little child. That particular thing caught on, and even grocery stores started processes of things, and they would come out with a set of some kind of dishware or cookware or whatever, and the whole thesis of it was this. You go in, you spend a certain amount of money, and you earn these green stamps, and you put them on this little card, and when you fill the card up, you can go in, and here's what, you, they, what they called it. You redeem them. You trade them in. Now, redemption is one of the central themes of the Bible that God has given us. But it's far more than just trading one item for another. Our redemption tonight is a gift. 
It's a gift. It's a gift of God. It's based on nothing that we have to offer. Nothing that we can turn in. Nothing that we save up. It is entirely a gift. I want us to take a few minutes to look at some things with this tonight and get some understanding of why God is to be praised for redemption. Look at A, if you would, the character of redemption. Now, the idea of redemption was common in the ancient world. Let me say this tonight. I do not believe that anywhere in Scripture does it condone slavery. Now, there are, and I'm not going to get into a whole message on this tonight, but there are a multitude of different kinds of slavery. If you go back and study how slavery began, sometimes people were taken into slavery based on need or debt. In other words, your debt was over your head. And you would never be able to satisfy that debt. And so you became a slave. And you were a slave until the time that that debt was paid back. Sometimes there was another form of slavery. It was criminal. In other words, you committed crime against the state, against the government. And you would be taken into slavery. There's also, in the, the Bible speaks of this in the early centuries, uh, there was also people who, <laughs> isn't it amazing how children had been mistreated through the course of time? We look at abortion today, but do you realize that there was a form of slavery in which parents would sell their children into slavery? And that there was several, multiple generations of people who were slaves by birth. In other words, I sell James. And James is a little kid. And he grows up. And he marries. And he and his wife have a child. That child becomes property of the slave owner. That child becomes a slave. And generation after generation. There was also government slaves. Conquered people. When the Roman Empire would go in. In fact, in Rome itself, did you realize this? They say that there were over 6 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Now, the government of the Roman Empire, they were good about going out and taking over nations of people and many times enslaved them. That's why it's so interesting that with the nation of Israel, they didn't enslave them in work. But they allowed them many times, they allowed them to maintain what they had, and they taxed them to death. Now we're looking at this subject of slavery. Now this word redeemed, if we look at it in the Greek, lutro, to affect the release of a slave by paying the redemptive price. Now used in verse number 7, Paul says that word redemption, we who are saved are released from our slavery to sin. Now, since Adam and the Garden of Eden, we have all been slaves to sin. We are born with a sin nature. And I know there are people that will argue to their death with me on that, on that matter, but we are born with a sin nature. Now, that doesn't mean that instantly when a child is born, that instantly it begins to sin. The Bible also talks to us about an age of accountability. 
And there's no definite year given, eight years old, seven years old, four years old, but an age of accountability when a person comes to the knowledge of what sin is. And the truth is every person is born with a sin nature. Every single person. And because of that, death is the ultimate consequence of our slavery to sin. In the book of, Revel, uh, the book of Romans, in chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 23, both speak of it. In John chapter 8, it says, Verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And we can point at, and we're really good at this, we like to point at other people's sin and things that they're enslaved to. Oh, we'll, we'll, look down, we'll look down our glasses and our nose at someone who has a sin that is an addiction. And we say they're enslaved to that. But every one of us have our sin. God, listen, God doesn't color sin. God doesn't grade sin. Sin is sin. When we look at that, it says, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. And sin is a cruel master. Now, I want you to follow me. If you would turn over to the book of Galatians, and there'll be about three verses I want to read from there. And uh, you can turn quickly to those and a couple of others that, we'll, that, uh, that I'll mention that I'll not have you turn to. But I want you to listen how the New Testament describes what redemption is. Okay? And we look, we look at that term redemption, talking about being redeemed from slavery, what we were bound to. Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 3 and 4. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Now, page away, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, look at verse number 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. That's what he did with us with redemption. Now, a page over to Galatians chapter 5, if you would. And verse number 1, a verse that many of us probably have memorized. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. Galatians or Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. See, these are all verses in the New Testament that talk about what Christ has done for us with that redemption. Now, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. Now, when we look at that, the word redeem, again, translates to the Greek word argazo, to do business in the market. How many of you have ever read the book of Hosea when he goes to the marketplace and he purchases his wife? On the surface, what a dirty story. We think, man, I would just... Do away with that. Remember, he married the woman and the woman left him and went to many others. And the Bible says she was a harlot. And then she was put on the slave 
And he went to purchase her. You, you know what he did? If you, read the, if you read that book, you'll find out that it took everything that he had to buy her. Why would you buy a person like that? Because of your love. He is a picture of what Christ does for us in the New Testament to do business in the marketplace. Christ, God actually purchased us unto himself. Now, when we look at this also, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5, to redeem them that are under the law. We read that. It's the same Greek word with a prefix X put before that. It's the same word in Revelation 5, 9 with that word X or that prefix X. means to purchase something for oneself in the marketplace, but that's not the end. And then forever that something can never be sold again. Now stop and think about that. One, it is one kind of love to go into the marketplace and buy someone and they are, they are yours and you've done that out of love. And that's what Christ did for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us all for us, purchased us from that slavery that we were in. But then he did something even greater than that. We can never be slaves enslaved again we can never do that because it takes us off of that market he never intends to allow us to be enslaved again first peter chapter 1 verse number 18 and 19 for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions of your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and blemish. Now the word redeemed in verse number 18 translates lutro, means to release a slave after the payment or the purchase price, and that's what Christ has done for us. Look at B, if you would, the cost of redemption. The cost of redemption. Christ saw us where we were in our sins. He loved us, and he redeemed us. Did not cost me a thing. My salvation tonight has not cost me one thing. But it cost Christ. It cost his all. We don't have to make a payment on it. But it cost him everything. He who had no sin. Dying for those who were only sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 talks about that. It amazes me, and I want you, as I say this, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. There were millions of gallons of blood shed in the days of the tabernacle and the temple. We don't even know how many animals were sacrificed through that. Even at the dedication, when Solomon was dedicating the new temple, the Bible talks about, I believe it was 120,000 animals that died and were offered in praise and worship to the Lord. Literally, we do know this, millions of gallons of blood were shed during those days. And all of that blood could not take away our sins. It was simply a covering. But the blood of Christ did what the blood of animals could not do. 
His blood was the blood of a man who was free from sin. Now let's read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. Rams, doves, lamb. We could go through the list of the animals. The same sacrifices. Now notice this. Which can never take away sins. But this man. Who is this man? Jesus. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So the blood of Jesus did what millions of gallons of sacrificial blood could not do. Look at the next piece of this. See if you would. We've looked at the cost. Now let's look at the cause of this redemption. There's a fascinating thought here tonight when it says this, according to the riches of his grace. Now, God has set his grace upon us. He set it in motion. And I think it's, it's a fascinating thought according to the riches of his grace. Let's just suppose tonight that we're taking up an offering in our service and there is a millionaire here, Jack Ferguson. We have a millionaire here with us in our services and it comes offering time. He pulls out his wallet and takes out a $20 bill and he puts it into the offering plate. Just about everyone in this room could do that tonight. But if the millionaire pulls out his wallet or his checkbook, And he pins a check for $200,000. Only Gordon could do that. Very few could do that. Now, here's what I want you to see from that. One, he just gave the $20,000 or the $20. He's giving out of his riches. Okay, he's giving out of his riches. Most of us could give what he gave. But if he were to give a $200,000 offering, he would be giving according to the riches. Okay? I want us to see that that's what Christ has done for us in redemption. When we're looking at that tonight with this, the cause of redemption. Think about it. Verse number three, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Verse number four, he adopted us into his family. Verse number five, he changed our lives. Verse number four, again, he determined that he will predestine us. Once he saves us, he predestinates us to be with him in heaven. Verse number five, also, he did all of that just because it brought him good pleasure. According to the riches of his grace. 
So we, first of all, Paul is telling us God is to be praised for his redemption. Now let's look at verse 6 and 7 together. God is to be praised for the results. What is the results of the redemption? We find A in verse number 7, the redeemed have been released. We have been given forgiveness of sin. We have been pardoned. Our sins have been put away from us as though they never happened. Now, it's hard for us as humans to do that. You know, we we like to say we forgive and forget. About the best we can do is forgive. But a lot of times we won't forget. It's not really in our makeup. It's not in our character. But when the Lord forgives, he forgets. If you go to Psalm 103 and verse number 12, and you can jot that down if you want to check on it. The scripture says this, as far as the east is from the west, so hath he removed our transgressions. Now you tell me, where does east and west meet? That's quite a distance there. In the book of Micah chapter 7 and verse 19, it says he cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Man hasn't conquered the depths of the sea yet. When John the Baptist testified of Jesus, you remember what he said in John 1.29? Behold, the Lamb of God, which covereth the sin of the world, Mm-mm. taketh away the sin of the world. He does away with those. Now let me say this tonight, though. He takes them away. He carries them off. Isaiah 53, 4 through 7 talks about it. 10 and 11 talk about it. Numbers of other verses we can give you with that. But Satan always remembers what I've done. Not only does he remember, listen to me now, he reminds you and I of what we've done. We'll look into that Sunday night because he doesn't forget and he reminds us who we were and what we did. And that's one of the things that robs us of our joy. Look at verse 6 and B. We've looked at the redeemed have been released, but the redeemed have also been reconciled, accepted in the beloved. What does that mean? To make agreeable. In our natural state, we're not agreeable with God. In fact, the Bible says the carnal mind is what? Enmity. It's enmity against God. (coughs) John chapter 3 and verse 3 talks about that. The verb phrase here, accepted in the beloved, means this. I have been accepted, I stand accepted, and I will be accepted, and there's nothing that I can change about that. That's the results of redemption. It's eternal. I want to be honest with you tonight as best I know how. I am thankful that I have eternal security I'm glad I do not have to keep myself saved I'm glad that I don't lose it I have been known to lose things my wife handed me something the other day and I put it in my pocket now my pocket is not a lady's purse And my pocket's not all that big. But about 20 minutes later, she says, where is that such and such that I gave you? I said, you can give that to me. 
She said, yes, I did. I said, no, you didn't. So we went that dance for several courses of the song. And then, then I was getting a little agitated. And I reached in this pocket and I said, this pocket. And I turned my pocket inside out and I pulled, I pulled my keys out. In this pocket, keys. That's all that's there. In this pocket, and I reached in, turned the pocket inside out, and held it out, and exactly what she told me I put in my pocket, I had put in my pocket. Now, I had felt that, and I said, well, that, you know, that's keys down in that pocket. That's this, that, the other in the pocket. And everyone around laughed, except for me. That's a simple thing. I had been known to things. We all do. But thank God we can't lose our salvation. And it's not about me holding on to God. It's about God holding on to me. And he doesn't lose anybody. Notice number three, if you would, verse 7 through verse 10. God is to be praised for his reasons. Surely we can praise God for his redemption. Surely we can praise him for the results of the redemption, what it's done to free us. But why does God redeem people from their sins? Why does God choose to save them? Why does God choose to forgive us? Why does he choose to make us his children? I think the answer is wrapped up in the wonderful and the wonder of God and who he is. Look at A, if you would, verse 7, the wonder of his grace. In whom we have redemption according to the riches of his grace. I think it's probably why there's so many songs in our hymn book tonight that remind us of his grace, the wonderful grace of Jesus, the amazing grace. Why would God ever reach down and buy us out as slaves from sin and a horrible condition that we're in when we were unlovely, yet he died. Why? Because at the heart of who he is, is grace. Everything that we have in Christ flows from his grace. What is grace? We've heard the little acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. We, we, we remember that. The unmerited love and favor of God, we've, we've heard it that way. The goodwill, the loving kindness and favor. God in his grace set his love on us. And we have been given everything that God has to offer. Look at verse 8 and 9. Verse 7, the wonder of his grace. Verse 8 and 9. Again, a reason, the wonder of his glory. <clears throat> it flows from the mystery of his will. What he did for us according to his good pleasure is the statement. In other words, God's whole redemptive plan was to do this. Bring glory to himself. This is not a thing of pride. But God saves us and changes us to bring glory to himself. To bring attention to himself. So that those that are without Christ... You remember what the New Testament says? That they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so tonight we can praise the Lord for what He's done for us and the reasons why. Because of His grace and because of His glory. God for His own glory and His own purpose at some point opened your eyes. And He let you see the truth. Look at the third, if you would, in verse number 10. The wonder of His goal. Paul reminds us that history is not meaningless or, or without purpose here by this statement that in the dispensation of the fullness of times God has determined here that he is the head of all things the dispensation of the fullness of time you know what this means God is in control God is in control he is working out a perfect plan he devised it before the world ever existed. Now, this world that we live in is ignoring God, is walking away from God, acting as, he, as if He doesn't matter, refuses to bow to what God desires for them and what God has for them. And it appears to be running down a steep and fast slope away from God. It appears that this world is out of his control. But it's not. It's not. All of those today who refuse to acknowledge him, to bow to him, to accept him, one day will. For some people, they won't acknowledge who Christ is until it's too late. Do you remember the rich man in the New Testament as he's in hell? And he's speaking into heaven. There's going to be a lot of people that when they die and they face God, they face eternity, who are going to be saying this Oh, I believe, I believe, now I believe. But it's too late. And so the wonder of his goal is to help us see this. God has a master plan for the world and he has a master plan for us. And Paul is saying, saints and faithful, God has a goal. He has an intended purpose for you. And even at Ephesus, a lot of their culture was much like our culture today. Hadn't changed a whole lot. Vileness and men running from, from the things of God. And so he speaks to the saints and to the faithful it gives us reason to praise him that we're redeemed. Points out the results. Then he points out the reasons. And then at the end he said that in the dispensation of times. Plural. Through all of this. To understand. God is in full control. The truth is. We want to be in control. A very silly illustration of it would be a driver's education class a number of years ago more than any of us want to admit driving down Spring Street prison right there where the prison was there's a little street and it just drops off 
I was in the back seat of a little Vega. Picture that. Curry Wells was in the driver's seat. And Mr. Crane was in the instructor's seat. He had told Curry a few times to slow down. A few dozen, maybe. Curry did not listen well. Vegas can go airborne. He hit that hill, and when he did, it came off the ground. I, I, it must have been like the Dukes of Hazard or something. But we went off, the, and we came down. And you know, over on Mr. Crane's side, he had a break. But he didn't have a steering wheel. And I still remember when we landed and that car was bouncing around, he had his foot on the brake. And he wanted to be in control, too. He had his foot on the brake and his hand on the steering wheel. And uh, then I got behind the driver's side. I said that to tell you this. He wanted control. And at moments of difficulty and struggle, what we want is control. But praise God, he has all of this in control when we are out of control. And when everything seems to be going directions we don't understand, Paul says, listen, praise the Lord for redemption. And the result of it is that God is in full control this week. Let's pray together, please. Father, please help us as we travel with Paul as he speaks to the saints and to the faithful, to the church and to those that are going to come after. Teach us to praise you. Teach us what real praise and real worship is. And the truth that it's not about moving me or exciting me or lifting me, but about lifting you. And tonight we look...